Hello, unfiltered friends. Today we have on Avery Warner, 90 day fiance, superstar, but also very recent friend. I went to the podcast movement conference where I met a bunch of wonderful people and she's one of them. She is a great example of what it means to grow and learn and lean into your authentic self proudly, regardless of what other people say. If you enjoy this episode, make sure you share it, give it a rating. And without further ado, here is Avery Warner. Welcome to the Unfiltered Friends Podcast. Before we introduce you to our next friend, I want you to take a moment to think about everything that led you to where you are right now. Do you see how strong you are? Do you see how great your story is? I hope you do. And I hope you learn great lessons and get inspired by our next friend's story on the Unfiltered Friends Podcast. Welcome. I don't know how to start. I still don't. I'm, I think you might be like my You tenth. know what I do? What? What do you do? I actually just, when I record with people, I just go right into it. I don't do intros. I don't do any of that stuff because I like to do my intro based on the, the interview. She likes so to get straight it, to it. <laughs> I do it. I do it afterwards. So I do, I'm not like, la, 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 in front of the person. I'm like, all right, let's just dive in. Okay. And then I do my full intro and outro separately and then I glue it together. Look at see this is why you want to do stuff with other podcasters because you always learn things. Mm-hmm. So tell people who you are, who you are, where you're from, what you're about. Just you run everything and I'll just sit here and enjoy. Well, where do I start? Uh well my name's Avery Warner and uh currently I am I'm a reality TV personality from the hit series 90 Day Fiance. Do you still consider yourself that? Um, I am known for that. Okay. Let's say that. that. Yeah, I am. Okay. I am famous. I'm a celebrity. I'm like a list. <laughs> okay. Let's not get crazy though. Uh, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, no, I, so I'm known. I've got my public figure stance from the hit series 90 day fiance before the 90 days season four, if anyone wants to check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really where I've gotten, you know, my public recognition, Um, I, you know, I worked in dentistry for 14 years leading up to, uh, working or going on television. And since I've been on television, there's kind of been this complete change in the direction of my life. I've been able to get out of dentistry and it kind of pushed me into ultimately what I've wanted to do, which is, you know, I created a podcast about six months ago, took a lot to do it in the beginning. Um, but now I get to, I get to be a creator. Yeah. And, and and we've kind of talked a little bit about what this podcast is about. And I feel like, especially as someone who worked in reality television on the production end of things, and you being someone who's been on reality television, I feel like the image that's portrayed isn't always accurate to who that person is. And it's also treated as when the person consumes that content, they assume that you are that person currently. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is throughout this to see, I mean, let's just ask you the person you were on 90 day fiance, the person you are now, how different are those people? Uh, Well, completely different. 
But I also feel like 90 Day Fiance came into my life when I was going through a complete shift personally in my own life as well. And this wasn't even just because of reality television. This was like, I was hitting a quarter life crisis. (laughs) And I was like, at this point in my life where I'm like, I hate everything about where I'm at in life right now. Um, I've worked in dentistry for 14 years. And if I want to, I felt like I wasn't, I was better than the position that I was at in life. Mm. I felt like mentally, emotionally, I was at another level than what the outside of my life looked like. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to bring the rest of my life up to where I felt personally. And I had no idea how I was going to do that. And so I was, you know, at a really, really hard point. Like I had just had my daughter. She was three months old. I had, I had suffered from postpartum depression at that point. And I had just gotten out of a relationship, which is a really toxic relationship, which was with her father. Luckily, we're amazing together as co-parents. We just weren't really good together um, at that time. And I had, you know, going into the relationship with him to start a family, I had given up everything that I had. So I sold all my belongings. I basically had nothing. I had the bags of clothes when I came out of this relationship. And then I also had a new three-month-old daughter and I had had just started working at my job. I had postpartum depression. Um, and I didn't like I had a one bedroom, really crappy apartment uh, just to try and get out of where I was. Um, and we were sleeping on a blow up mattress in the mm-hmm. middle of winter. And like, you know, it would get really cold and I had to take care of this baby. And I was working like these long hours. And I'm just like, if I want to get if I want to do something with my life. I have to do it now. And so I sat there and I thought about like, well, I could go and back to school and do something, you know, greater in dentistry, but do I really have the time to do full-time schooling plus working, being a single mom and then paying for all of that school and all this stuff. Right. And so I sat there and I'm just like, well, what the hell do I do with my life right now? You know, like how do I get from point A to point B? And so I sat there and I, and I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. I think a lot of people, when they come to the recognition that they've been living the life that isn't benefiting them, and they come to that, a lot of people will sometimes just sink into it and just, you know, continue on their miserable life. But then... So tell me, tell me the mindset that led you to... like, Because we grow up a, a thinking a certain thing that we want a certain thing. I think the quarter life crisis, the midlife crisis, I don't believe those are crisis. I feel like it's more so we are learning the things that we actually want and are starting to lean into it. Like, you know, as someone who's 40 now, I understand the midlife crisis um, in the way where it's not, I always thought of it as this is someone who's trying to live out their youth. And maybe for some people that's true, But what I'm finding is like, I'm not having a crisis about it, but you buy into this idea that you're supposed to do, you you do all the things that you think you're supposed to do. And then you get to that point where you're supposed to maybe reap the benefits of those things. And you're like, oh, all this stuff I have been feeding into my whole life doesn't really match what I actually want. Or a lot Mm -hmm. of the stuff I've been investing in isn't even true. So why am I... (laughs) doing like, who am I doing these for these things for? And you find that it's not yourself. So for you leading up to the dentistry part, we'll get to the rest of it, but leading up to the dentistry part, what was going on in your mindset about why you wanted to to work in that, that field and what you were doing to, um, 
convince yourself that that's where you wanted to be. So the, what you just said was so powerful because I feel like that is why people go through these, these quarter midlife, whatever crisis, because we're, we're kind of put in this program as people we're put into a box when we go to school and we're basically told we need to be good in, in all of these different, uh, subjects. And if we're not, then we might have a learning disability, like all these things. Right. And we're also told we need to go to college in order to get good jobs. And how many people leave school knowing exactly what they want to do with their life? No, like people at the age of 18 going into college have absolutely no clue what they want to do with their life. And, and so what they want to do is usually not supported by their parents. And so you get parents who are just like, well, I think you'd be really good in this and you'd be really good in this. You'll make a lot of money doing this. It's always about money and success and uh, what's going to give you a good life, right? Uh, but people don't really take into consideration that if you're not happy, it's going to manifest in the rest of your life, you know, regardless of how much money you're making or any of that kind of stuff. And so getting into dentistry was definitely something that my parents pushed me to go towards because it was a professional career and people look at it as like, oh, that's great. You work in dentistry and you'll be taken care of with, you know, healthcare and all this, all this stuff. Right. And so from a very young age, I was kind of just put into this mindset of it's not necessarily about what makes you happy. It's about success and money and, and trying to go for, you know, and I thought I'm good at science. I could probably get into dentistry. And when I started getting into dentistry, I actually was really, really, really good at it. And everything that I did and worked at, I was like always put into the top positions of what I was doing. You know, I was, I taught dentistry for a few years. Um, I like there, there was a lot of things that I did during that, but it was really not necessarily that I loved doing what I was doing. It was more because I wanted to be successful. Um, and so I'd be trying to work hard at everything that I was doing to actually please my parents. Mm. There was there was nothing about that that I was doing for myself. I had adopted this mindset from a very early age because of the trauma that I went through and just the way that my parents raised me without having like much love or attention and things like that, where I felt like I needed to prove myself all the time. And so everything that I got in, I would just try to master and be really good at. Mm -hmm. And so it just got to the point where, you know, I'm 34 years old or at the time I was 32, I believe. Um, or no, I was around, yeah, 31, 32. And I'm just sitting here like, look at your life. You hate getting up every day. I would drive to, to the dental office and I'd sit in my car beforehand and I wonder, do I call in? Or do I go to work? Like it took all of my mental capacity just to pull myself out of the car and get through the day. Have right? you have you heard of the book The Big Leap? Mm -mm. So what you're talking about, and I wonder if this rings for you because I'm in the process of reading this book because I'm working with a coach that was talking about the concept of upper limiting. So say it's we'll use your example as as dentistry. You were excellent at it. You um, found success with it, but there was always that like little nagging thing no, that was probably telling you, and you tell me if this is true, that you weren't really to your full potential. There was something else that you would want more of uh, that you weren't getting from what you were doing. Does that feel accurate? 
Oh, hundred percent. So that is an example of you being, so there's several zones, right? There's a zone of incompetence, which is something you're not good at. You don't care to be good at. There's mm-hmm. a zone of competence, something that you're good at, but other people are good at. There's your zone of excellence, which is something you're really good at. Other people are also really good at. And then there's your zone of genius, which is something that you are uniquely amazing at. And that if you did every day, it would feel like you weren't even working at all. So what you, you're discontent with what you were doing is because you could feel, but maybe didn't understand that you were working beneath your, your zone of genius. Mm -hmm. And that actually makes a ton of sense because initially, you know, I was young when I got into dentistry, I got in at 18 years old. You don't have a full frontal lobe yet, you know? (laughs) I know. And I literally was just trying to please my parents and get acceptance from Mm. the people around me. And so once I started getting that, I felt like, oh, this is great. You know, like people are giving me attention for doing a good job. And, uh, you know, and then it just got to the point where I'm just like, I feel like I am maxed out at what I'm doing. I would literally look at what my position was and I'm like, I am so much better than this, but I can't go any further because I I'm at the top. I'm at the top of what I'm doing. And if I wanted to go any further, I'd have to go back to school because it, when you work in healthcare, you are, you, you can't just be like whatever you want to be. You can't move up to a doctor, right? You have to go back to school. You have to spend all this money and all this time. And I didn't want to do that because I'm like, I could, but then I would go back to just hating my life, right? Even mm-hmm. though I'd be making more money, I'd go back to hating my life. And I don't want to wake up every single morning and dread that alarm clock and dread Mondays and dread every day of my life and, and be waiting for the weekend. And right? so many people accept that as just the way you should live life Yes, and, and, attack people who who want to shed that idea but i feel like a lot of the reasons that they attack those people is because they secretly wish they could do it too and Mm -hmm. it's just like well if i'm miserable everyone else has to be miserable it's like well what if we all just reach for what we actually wanted and we're happy Mm -hmm. and that's like a foreign concept but a lot of people are terrified of fear like i mean they're terrified of success six well yeah happiness yes everything that comes with it, but that's because we are programmed as humans to be workers, you know, like we are programmed to have that security and people love security. They love the security that a paycheck comes in every two weeks or week or whatever. And they know exactly what they're making. They can budget and they have that safety net, right? When you are on your own, you don't have that security. And every single person who goes out on their own and becomes an entrepreneur, works for themselves, goes through the same struggles. And however they respond to it is however they respond to it. But you go through so much in the beginning of what you're doing. And a lot of people can't mentally handle that. They like to go back to their comfort zone. And Mm. so you get people who are like, oh my gosh, I really want to be an entrepreneur because I just can't stand this nine to five and I want to work for myself. It's going to be amazing. And I'm going to have this flexibility to do this and this and this. And it's like, no, your stress changes in a very different way. But if you love what you're doing, you will endure that stress and you'll go through it. But some people don't know what the hell they want to do. And they go after certain things. And when things get hard, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just like, 
it's not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it, even just when things get hard. It's also when things get great. This is also a concept of the upper limiting. Let's say it has to do with like, let's use relationships. And I, I know I've done this. You tell me if you've done this. So you're in a relationship and um, you're used to a certain level of happiness. And then you find someone who you really connect with and you start experiencing an uh, exceeding amount of happiness that you're not used to. You're so uncomfortable in that excess that you do things to sabotage your own happiness and bring you back down to a level you're comfortable with. Yes, but I also think too, that's the imposter syndrome that comes in because I actually experienced severe depression when my life became what I wanted it to be. And people were like, how is that possible? You're literally living your dream that you set out to do and you're depressed. And that was the struggle I had to go through for a little while. Once you change your entire life, things aren't easy. No. Like they're, they're just not easy. Whether you're going after something that you love and that you want to do you have to deal with all of these emotional changes that come with going after something that you want to do for yourself. Right? It's uncomfortable. It's new. It's super uncomfortable. And then once you experience that and you, you are the one who has experienced the journey, right? You, mm-hmm. You've experienced all the struggles, the mental cr- crap that you tell yourself that you can't do and that you tell yourself, shut up, I can do it. And, and all these things that you are focusing on, but you forget to focus on what you have created. And so when you get to that point and for, for me, it was like, I got to that point and I'm like, wow, I have everything that I wanted. I have money in the bank. I live comfortably. I have no issues in my life right now. I have no problems. Why the hell am I depressed? And I had to sit there and like really tell myself. And it was because I was still focusing on like everything became like, I I wasn't challenging myself at Mm -hmm. that time because everything was like so perfect. And I was just like, man, okay, I'm here. And I'm, and I'm just like, so focused on all the things that I had to do to get here. And I don't feel like I was worthy of that. You know, then you have to start going through this mind shift of no, like you're working really hard. Like you have to love what you have created and you have to realize that this is a change and it's uncomfortable to have change. And, and now you have time. to start learning to love this new life because I, I related working to feeling mentally and physically drained, getting off of work, feeling like I can't even turn my radio on because the sound will irritate the shit out of me. You know, like I felt like that's what work feels like, but I work sometimes now And I don't even feel like I worked at all. And I'm like, wow, where did that time go? I've literally been sitting here for 12 hours working on this. And I thought I don't even have enough time to, you know, get what I want done. And I'm I'm just so consumed by it. And then I I think, man, I feel like I don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I don't do anything. It's that I actually love what I'm doing. And that's not what work should feel like, right? It should feel like you like how I feel right now not the mentally, physically draining. It should give you energy, not suck your energy. Yeah. I mean, um, what, what you're seeing right like that's, you're speaking to my current, like what I'm going through. You've kind of, since we've met, I'm pretty open on my social media. You've probably witnessed me trying to like talk through this situation. And like this, like this podcast is me doing that. 
Like mm-hmm. the like if if this could be my job and all the extra stuff, I hate editing. I hate all that stuff. I hope that this gets to a point where um, I can outsource a lot of that stuff. But like if like I didn't think I could do this as my job because I I, I was spo- I had to change my relationship with what I thought work was. Mm-hmm. So for you. You're, you're in dentistry. You are, when did that shift happen for you? How close was it to the 90 day fiance stuff? Was that a catalyst for it or did that shift happen before it? So the interesting thing about what happened when I made my shift, right? So I was in a one bedroom apartment with a blow up mattress, a couple bags of clothing, a newborn, wondering how the hell I was going to even you know, food in the house, any of that kind of stuff. Right. So you're definitely in this fight or flight mode and you're like, things got to change. And for me personally, I'm one of those people. And because I have struggled so hard my entire life, I have been put into some of the hardest situations. And ultimately, right when shit gets hard in my life, I it's like weird. I have this mindset of you need to overcome this and you'll do anything to, to bring yourself back up. Right. Mm-hmm. So I could be put in any sink or swim, swim situation and I don't wallow in my own misery. It's like off to the races, we're going to figure out how to solve this problem. And I think at that point I was at a mental break. Like I, I wasn't ready to continue in dentistry. I was ready to make a drastic change and when better to make a drastic change when you have nothing, right? Because you're yep. not losing anything. And so I literally was at the bottom and I said, I'm already at the bottom and I'm cool with it. I got nothing to lose. So I'm going to start figuring out how I'm going to get out of dentistry and how I'm going to make my life. So I sat down one day and I got this notebook out and, you know, I'm, I'm doing all this personal development stuff. I'm, I'm learning how to like be better and, and get through all of my, my, depression, all that stuff. And it was like, you you need to write out what you want. Right. And so I got a journal out and I was very specific of how I wanted my life to look. And I didn't put a time. Well, I kind of put a time frame on it. I said within five years. Um, but I said within five years, I want to work for myself. I want to work remote. I want to work with people. I want to be able to have time with my daughter. I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Right. And I, I said, Okay, how am I going to get there? I have no freaking clue. What do I even like? Okay, because at this point, you're just so consumed with work and life that you don't even have time to explore what your passions are. And you weren't even doing the things that you were doing for yourself. You were doing it for other people. So you don't even know what you like at this point because you've lived your life for others instead of yourself. And everybody is at this. I feel like every person I talk to when I say, hey, what, what are your passions? What do you do for fun? They go, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I like doing. Or when they try to explore their passions and start a hobby, it takes them a while to figure out even what that is because we lose touch with what initially in our life we loved, right? And I knew that from, a, from, from the time I was a little girl, I was a creative. I was always off into the clouds. I was drawing. I was painting. I, was, I won art awards since kindergarten. I, I have like, I'm just a a creator and I love, and my mind is constantly in like a visionary mind. You know, I'm constantly envisioning things and I'm constantly, you know, thinking about creating things and all this stuff. So 
I knew that I had lost that within myself. So I wanted to start diving into my passions. And how was I going to figure out what I really was passionate about? Because I don't want to try to go for things without, you know, actually, I don't want to put myself in the same position. And I was like, I love food. I love food. I love cooking. Maybe my passion is nutrition, or maybe my passion is, you know, being a chef or cooking or whatever, right? So that was where I started. I started actually trying to build a, like a health coaching or a a food blog and that kind of stuff beforehand, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm on there and I'm trying to build up my Instagram. I'm trying to learn all this social media stuff and I'm doing this on the side. And I had no idea how I was going to get from point A to point B. But at this time, I was really training myself to listen to my gut feelings and let go of trying to control the situation. And so I just started running after things that my gut was telling me. And I was learning what what I should listen to and what I should not listen to. And I was sick home from work one day. And I you know, was laying on the couch and I decided I was going to binge watch 90 day fiance. And I sat there and I was binge watching 90 day fiance. And I was dating a guy in Australia. We had been dating for nine months and I had not met him yet, but I'm sitting here watching these people on TV and they're meeting for the first time and they live in other countries. Right. And I was sitting there reminiscing. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be Ash and I soon. We're going to be Uh, meeting each other and this kind of how it's going to go. Right. Mm -hmm. And then something popped into my head. This wasn't a thought. This was like a, I call them downloads where it's like something comes in and just goes, boom, you need to do this. Right. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you'll be sitting there and something will say, boom, you need to do this. You're like pushed to do it. Something came in my head and was like, you should apply to go on 90 day fiance. And I never, ever had even thought about going on a reality show but I said, oh, like, uh, I wonder if I could, right? And, and, you, like, and you're watching actually... this show, right? And you see how messy most yes. of these, re- actually yours notwithstanding, um, full offense to your relationship back then. <laughs> um, it, what was the conversation like? Because you guys already had an established relationship which I don't feel like is probably true for all the people who are on that show. If I, with my knowledge of the production end of reality (laughs) shows, but what was that conversation with Ash? Like when you brought it up to him and what was his reaction? Uh, Well, initially he said, no, he's like, absolutely not. I have a private life. I don't want people to know about my life. And then I said, well, it's interesting because we are both, you know, trying to be creatives in our creative space. And, you know, this would, I don't think he understood how large the the show was in the United States. And I said, the potential for, that can come out of this show for, you know, projecting us to where we want to be in life, you know, I would look at it more as like a, a business opportunity. You can go about it in a strategic way where you're not just going on there and being like batshit crazy and all that stuff. If you go in there with like a mindset of what you're trying to achieve and a goal and, and trying to uh, control how you're portrayed on television and think you can't really control everything. I mean, no, (laughs) but you, but you can be a little bit more consciously aware of what, what your ultimate goal is and what you're trying to do. Right. 
And was and so he already I, a relationship coach at this point? Yeah, he was already a relationship coach. He actually already had quite a bit of people on social media, right? So in my mind, I was like, you're a private person, but you are always on video. You're always trying to like tell people what they need to do with their life and like all this stuff. Mm. And and so I just <laughs> thought maybe he was trying to like hide something. You. Um, <laughs> yeah the, the, a, like like straight up like that my brain was that's the first place it went is is like he he wanted attention but he didn't want attention connected to a relationship because that would hurt his possibility of getting attention 100 percent, yeah and also he didn't want to ruin his potential for what he does for a living you know like if he came out looking really bad and he's a relationship <laughs> coach and he's trying to tell people how to be a relation in a relationship but you know he's got a train wreck on television uh that kind of like goes against his brand and so i got it and so i was like okay fine we don't have to go on it it's fine like and i kept telling the producer and it's interesting because the producers wanted us so much that they kept bothering us for months and i said ash doesn't want to do it you have to take it up with him if that's the case but but no we're not going to do it Two months later, he comes back and I thought maybe a producer had talked him into it, but he was like, I think it, I think it could possibly be a, a good thing. And I was like, are you sure? Because you need to watch the show beforehand <laughs> to make sure you want to go on this show. And of course he never did. So it was a shock to him, the whole experience <laughs> as we were going along. But I was kind of already mentally prepared for, for it all. Um, and I, of course, went into this thinking, you know, I'm not trying to become a reality TV star. I'm, I'm not trying to be known for my train wreck of a relationship. But then you I, get on a train wreck of a relationship reality yeah. show. That's th those things don't really like match very well. Right. But then you sometimes have to follow your gut because you said you wanted this, Avery. You said you wanted the life that you want. And so go with whatever it's telling you to do. Uh -huh. And if I never would have went on 90 day fiance, my path in life would have been a lot harder than to get where I am today. than if I just tried to do this on my own on the yeah. side St without having a platform, starting a, uh, starting a relationship, starting a, a starting the following is the hardest part. You know, mm, that's, yes. where, that's where I because was lucky. Nobody cares about you unless they're invested in you. And how do you get them invested in you? Yeah, I think that's an example of like you seeing the opportunity behind it, behind it but not being really attached to what the purpose of it is. Like, yes. I don't know where this, maybe you felt this. I don't know where this is going to lead, but it's going to lead me in, towards at least the general direction of where I'm trying to go. Mm -hmm. And I want people to understand, too, because some people are like, oh, you know, you didn't do it for the right reasons. And I'm like, no, I actually cared about the guy. I really did. I wasn't using him to go on a show to get like famous or any of that kind of stuff, because that's not what I did. I looked at the opportunity and was like, let's go on this together and see what happens. Look, I, I watched a lot of it and I I will admit I went in with because i read people like a book and i went mm -hmm. in expecting that i was expecting maybe a bit of um i wasn't expecting the interactions between you and him to be so relational he seemed actually less focused on the relationship than you were you look like I, you were actually trying to build something you just happened to invite cameras into it yes 
No, that's exactly. I, I legitimately was trying to figure out if I even wanted to waste my time on this guy because I was at a time in my life where I, I'm working towards things. I have goals. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, I don't want to waste time in things that aren't even like benefiting me and my future. So if I'm going to be dating a guy across the other side of the country, which is already really hard to do in and of itself, why do I need to like waste my time just to have someone across the other side of the world if I'm busy doing all these other things? I need to make sure if this is worth my time. And so why not, you know, get all these extra bonuses when I'm going to go meet this guy that I'm really interested in. It also kind of forced action because it seemed like maybe it fast forwarded things for you, which is uh, probably why it seems like, and you tell me that that show was pretty much the end of your relationship with him. Yes. Because that guy is, that guy was so hard to dive into. I would be like, let's, go deeper. Like, I want to know more about you. I don't want to be coached every time we have a conversation. I felt like he was so good at telling a woman everything that they wanted to hear. But and not, that's not what but I want. Not. After watching that, I'm still traumatized by that, <laughs> that, seminar. that seminar that he did. It was so like, it took me three <laughs> seconds to have my mouth just like agape. How did you get a group of women to sit and listen to you spout this stereotypical, patriarchal, archaic idea of what a relationship can be. And I'm not saying that that can't work for some people, but when a woman in the audience literally looks at you and says, that's not my experience, and you disagree with her lived experience, you should not be coaching. Yes, that was my, okay. Let's just talk about it. Tell me, I want full details on that session because I'm still processing. Uh, okay. That session, what you guys saw on television, it was way worse in person. It was a cringe from the moment your face started, your face was the end. I, it was, yeah, it was like this. That was actually when I knew this was going nowhere. I could not recover from that. No, I could not. Yeah. Uh -uh. And I felt like, well, first off, I have to give him credit that he has balls to even go on a reality television show and give a seminar that he doesn't ever do. He doesn't do seminars. He does one-on-one coaching. And TLC was the one who set him up to have this little seminar to see what his coaching skills would be like. Do you think they knew that the towel was going to go? I think because they knew who he was and how he is that this was going to be gold is what and it the was. producer was thinking. It it was, it was like, this was the, the moment of <clears throat> like, a, it was an iconic moment in the 90 day fiance franchise because it was so cringe that <sighs> people could not uh, watch it barely. It a lot of so people were just like, I can't watch this. It Mm-mm. makes me uncomfortable. Right. Um, but literally I'm sitting there and I'm thinking you're a coach and this girl is telling you like actually this wasn't even just one girl this was all of them but one was speaking up and the others were just like in shock of what was going on and they're they're going at it like they're fighting and you didn't even get to see much of what was on tv but this was like a four hour long seminar and four hours yeah what yeah (laughs) tell tell people what she said just so that they can get more context for it Well, there was a lot of things that he would shut down. So 
he basically focused on the masculine and the feminine energy and that you have to like masculine energy is for the women or no feminine energy is with the women and masculines for the male. And like, you have to have that, that difference in order to have this attraction. And if you have too much of this, you can't be attracted to the opposite sex and like all these things. Right. And so she's sitting there and she's like, yeah, but what if you have like both, like, like, you know, what if I don't really like being feminine or whatever? Like I have a more masculine side and, and he's like, well, you you can't really like have that. You'll always be pulled towards the feminine. And then, and then she would be like, well, he goes, you can't date your best friend and and be able to be attracted to them. And she's like, well, I have, and we had a great connection. And he's like, well, he just said no. (laughs) Yeah. He was like, That was my favorite response. She said, that's not my experience. He goes, yes, the, the, no, you're wrong about the about He's something. Like, but, and he kept trying to like double down on everything that he was saying to tell them that what they were experiencing was wrong. And, and people are just sitting there just like, what is going on? So you didn't even get to see the after of the bridge conversation that Mm -hmm. we had about that whole thing, because I was so traumatized that I had to confront him about the seminar. And so I confronted him on the bridge and that was, uh, that was a big, huge conversation. But I was like, no, like you are so wrong in so many ways. And for you to sit there and point fingers at her and tell her that she's wrong. Like you're a coach. What do you do in your coaching sessions? There's no credentials, though. Like, he's a coach because it calls himself a coach, but that doesn't make you a coach. Right. And he caters to women who need connection, are craving connection from a man. And so what he does is he goes and gives them that connection. And I feel like that's their coaching sessions is he gives them that male connection that they're looking for. And that's why he, I, I like, I still don't know what the hell he does or any, like he might be a male gigolo. I don't know. Well, he's an emotional gigolo. Yeah. Yeah. He like, that's what you're describing. It's just like, he's just giving that, but he's led by ego. Uh, and he has a I very, think it fulfills him. Yeah. He's very fixated. He's not really trying to help people. He's trying to validate himself is what it, it yes. looked like from my end. I think so too. Uh, And that's kind of the recognition that I got after the whole thing. And I realized I, this isn't, this is definitely not for me. So the, but so now you have that realization, how soon into the filming was that part? That was halfway through. So, so you still got to use, you know, in your mind, I'm assuming that you're pretty much done at that point. I, I also don't think I could recover from that because that is like, that's not frivolous. That is core things that are who that person is. And you either accept that about them or you don't. How do you, if you know that it's done, have you communicated in to him that you're pretty much done even off camera? Um, I didn't communicate that, uh, specifically. I thought, I don't have very much longer to go. And maybe there is some hope in maybe this was a, I tried to rationalize at that point that, you know, I didn't see the side of Ash. So maybe this is a lot of pressure on him and he's, you know, attacking the situation. And I I don't know. So I felt like I needed to dig even deeper after Mm -hmm. that. 
And every time I started digging deeper, I'm like, there's a lie. There's something. So there's what was something. he, what was he lying about? He, uh, I caught him in so many lies, uh, but they were just so, so the, like the most stupidest lies that I'm just like, if you're going to keep lying about just these small things, then I can't even trust you with big things. You know, he lied because he said he had divorced his wife 10 years ago, but then I'm sitting there with his ex-wife at dinner and she's like, no, we just divorced last year. And I'm just like, okay. Mm. Uh, like I it doesn't even bother me. Cause I'm just like, who cares? Like, I don't care when you got divorced, but just things like that, where I go, why did you have to even just tell me that like you were divorced 10 years ago? Why couldn't, you tell me that, you know, you guys just never got around to it and we divorced last year. I don't, you know, it's just, it's things that he would try to hide from me um, because he, I feel like he didn't want to disappoint me, but he was always disappointing me because of the fact that he was trying to hide things from me. But what, were there signs of this before the show? Like you had nine months, like, had you seen signs of this? Not too much because of the fact that he was far away. So I was going based off of a lot of how he just presented himself. And every time I would try to get like, ask more questions about his life and all this stuff, he just seemed like he would get defensive or kind of shut down or redirect it into other things. And so I felt like we didn't have any issues because he never gave me the clear picture of, of the reality of things. And so I really wanted to go and actually see for myself the reality of things. And I did that with a whole camera crew. And luckily, they actually kind of put us through boot camp. I mean, they were really there to to really escalate things, which I think was a really good idea. Because if I would have just met him on my own, I feel like I would have gone there and it would have been the same thing, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so I'm I'm glad that it all came out. but. I didn't really necessarily fully understand the lies or the facade that he put on until I went there and experienced it. Mm -hmm. So something I had to do on my end, because I had a, a history of dating very narcissistic, toxic women. And while I don't excuse what they did, I don't have control over who they are. I had to deal with the fact that the reason I wanted these people was because I didn't feel like I was worthy. So this was my attempt to prove myself to somebody, or I would go for someone because they were ridiculously beautiful because I wanted to prove that I was worthy of getting a beautiful woman. But then you'd have to deal with the fact that they weren't a very good person. So mm -hmm. my question to you is, he, you know, we've said all these things about him, but what, a, what have you addressed within yourself that will cause you to go for a man who would conduct himself in this way? Well, what I will tell you and television, this is what I want people to understand too. Cause I don't want to speak just completely negative about the guy because yeah. I, I believe that he is a really good guy and he is with a partner right now. They both really love each other. He's about to have a baby they're happy together for who they are as people, right? They're, they're very much good for each other um, and whatever it is. But with him, with me, it was not a good connection. And so I can say these negative things that I didn't like, but he needs to deal with his stuff. It doesn't make him a bad person. He, he's a person that he is. He just needs to figure out what he's, he's dealing with. Um, and it wasn't for me. But... Uh, that made me 
have this realization that I met him at a time where I was in a quarter life crisis. Right. And I was still trying to figure out who the hell I was. And the only reason I was attracted to him at that time was because he was different than every relationship that I had been in. Like I, I felt like I had been, I'd been going after the type of men that you were saying about women, basically. Uh, and it kept coming to the point where it was not good for me. So I decided to go to a guy who, who basically love bombed me, right. Was telling me everything I wanted to hear about myself and, and loving me personally and making me feel a certain way. Um, and I thought that's what I needed. I needed someone like that to, that told me like worship the ground that I walked on. Um, because I hadn't experienced that, but then I realized like, I feel like every relationship is a learning experience and people need to take every relationship and what went wrong as a learning experience rather than like, oh, they were just a terrible person. I'm moving on to the next person. No, if you don't address what was wrong in that relationship, then you're not going to be able to progress in your partners. And so I figured from that relationship, I was just, I was insecure about me and myself. Um, and I had no clue what I needed in my life. And I was trying to figure out what I needed in my life as a partner. Um, and I was attracted to him personally. And I realized a lot from that relationship of what I'm not looking for or what I won't settle for. And, um, and it was just a point in my life. I think that, you know, I, I thought it was a good thing, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Were you just? Do you feel like maybe you were rushing to figure out why you had had such poor experiences that you maybe overlooked a lot of the things that you eventually found out about him? Yes. And by the but, way, I, I'm with you on this. I don't want I don't want this to like be like a bash session. We all have good and bad things about ourselves and things mm-hmm. we need to work on, and that's why I'm kind of like trying to gear it so that we can learn the lessons that you grabbed from that and things that you needed to work on with your, yourself and own yeah. that part of it. And I think what the most important thing is, is that you first have to really identify what went wrong in the relationship from yourself and what they brought into the relationship as well and and kind of separate things that you need to work on versus who you are as a person. <clears throat> and once you figure out who you are as a person, then you can really understand the type of people that you that you work well with. And once you start understanding that, then you can start diving into those type of people, those types of partners. And then once you figure out like what went wrong with you, you can try to start changing that and know kind of like, what you need to work on for the next person. Right. And so I'm terrible with relationships. I will 100% say to everybody that that is the one department that I really have to work on because I have been trained from a very early age that relationships are bad. And who trained you to think relationships are bad? My life. I have been taking care of myself since I was very little and I didn't have people to tell me that I was amazing. I was doing good in life that I'm going to be there for you. Um, If you do something, I'm going to be there for you. Uh, I'm not going to turn away from you. Like I very much grew up in a life. Sorry, this fucking fly. 
<laughs> I very much grew up in a life where it was like, if you want someone to love you, then you have to love yourself because nobody around you is going to give you that. In fact, they're probably going to leave you even if you really care for them. So you probably should just destroy it before it happens. Like hmm. if, if you really love this situation and you really love this person, you should probably screw it up. Um, because they're probably going to end up hurting you and leaving you. So don't even give them the time or day or do something to to ruin it and let them be on their way. So you can just go back to loving yourself, right? Like I very much was like, I'm just in it for me because nobody is here for me. So I won't give the effort to other people. And that's really how I grew up thinking that I'm not going to give too much effort because everybody else is for themselves. And I am so like, I'm, I'm loyal to a fault to the people I really care about. And I have these certain expectations and I've really had to learn to lower that. So my goal four years ago was I am done with all these toxic relationships in my life because apparently bad is what I'm comfortable with because when it's good, I feel uncomfortable because I don't I I don't like those situations. It's like you have grown your entire life feeling like everyone's going to leave you or they don't love you or whatever. And so now all of a sudden you're in a good situation. That's like going through a, a complete life-changing experience, right? Mm -hmm. Which becomes uncomfortable. And so you have to get comfortable with knowing that this is a good situation. And that was really uncomfortable for me. And so I knew that, you know, I'm going to have to go through a mental shift when it comes to how I view relationships. And that particular situation was a situation where I said, he is different than anything I've ever dated before. And I think it might be good for me. I need to test the waters for this and I need to be open-minded because I need to work on my relationship skills. So I did that. And I took away what I needed to learn from that because I'm finally approaching relationships from a learning aspect rather than a, I'm going with my emotions, right? I'm attracted to this guy. Yeah. I like them, whatever it is that's leading me to them. Um, now I'm going to come at it from a standpoint of like, is it good for me? Like, how, how are we compatible? Like things like that. And what I will say is that coming out of that relationship, I like now I know like when I'm dating, it's a lot easier for me to look at a situation and be like, I really like this person, but I know that this really isn't going to be a long-term thing for me. They're not going to give me what I'm looking for, for long-term. <clears throat> um, and I can make those adjustments based on just like my awareness of what I brought to relationships. So what I, from being on TikTok as much as I have been, and I, I do get into trouble, maybe some of those people are, are listening now. I see a lot of super toxic mentalities about dating. I don't really see the, the men half of thing. I'm sure they're also just as toxic. But what I'm noticing is um, a lot of people are meeting relationships with uh, entitlement or lists of demands or zero accountability for maybe their aspect or um, letting people know how replaceable they are and stuff like that. Does that mean how, how would you, and when I get into trouble is when I 
uh, offer a different perspective. And, and I realize it's easy to look at a man and just say, you're a man, you're an idiot, because that that is almost like celebrated, I've noticed. So for people who are in that mentality, one, do you understand it? And two, do you have guidance? Mm-hmm. So I totally understand your perspective on this. And that's something I'm honestly trying to struggle with as well, because I don't want to have this checklist of demands that I'm looking for. And if you don't fall into them, then I you know, can't date you or whatever. Cause a lot of these, people... a lot of these checklists are very, it's very superficial surface level stuff yes, too. It's like, they have to look a certain way or like they have to worship me or whatever it is. Like, yeah, money, all that kind of stuff. I, it like for me personally, I have an emotional checklist. Mm. Mine really isn't a physical checklist. Mine is very much catered to what I know emotionally. I can I can deal with, like I can be good with, right? Uh, Because I know myself so well and I know the trauma that I have experienced in my life and the issues that I mentally deal with on a regular basis, I want to make sure that my space, I love my space right now. I love that I have created a space for me that caters to my own emotional needs. And if I have somebody come in, how are they going to affect that space? And if they give me energy, they, they, they cater to my emotional needs. I will, I don't care if, you know, you're X, Y, and Z, I'm going to invest in you personally, because I feel like you can be compatible with emotionally what I need, but I also need somebody who's open-minded and has awareness. And so, because I know that I want to grow and I'm going to continue to grow But if I'm with a partner who has no desire for that, then I know that I'm going to grow and they're going to stay here and I'm not going to want to keep pulling them up. And I also don't want you, you can't change things that you're not aware of. And so if a person is just so set in, in their life and in their mind and, and things like that, I can't work with a person like that. And so I'm looking specifically for the emotional aspect. And there are some things where I will say, I'm like, I really want this. Like, I really want a creator. I want somebody who is able to do, like, understand my lifestyle, understand what I'm doing. And I could work with, I I have that like in my mind. And so I can say that maybe that is something that I shouldn't necessarily have on my list, but my list is really catered towards what I know specifically I can handle emotionally. So it sounds like um, the people who meet dating with a lot of expectation and demand and checklists are people who maybe don't have a solid base themselves. And in order to get away from that mindset, you have to know who you are first and look at someone who's a partner as an addition to the life that you have. And you obviously have to make concessions and compromise when you involve somebody else. But if you meet dating with the idea that that person you're dating is going to fix the things I lack within myself, that's when you create those unhealthy dynamics. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of people who say that they need to have a person with a lot of money is because they fear that, you know, they need that security. They they don't think that they're able to create mm-hmm. that for themselves. And so when they look at their partner, they look at their partner as someone who needs to uh to give the illusion of of the life that they want, right? And a lot of times it's like 
very superficial things. And it's because those are the things they want in their life. For me personally, I don't look at my partner as that specifically. I look at my partner as I... (coughs) Sorry. You okay? (laughs) Yes. Um, I look at my life personally of I'm super happy and content alone. Like I'm just really happy where I am in my life because I've worked on myself a lot over these last four years or so. I mean, I've worked on myself the whole time, but I never consciously started understanding it at a certain level until, you know, around four years ago. Um, and really when, when things started really shifting in my mindset. And so I'm just like at a place where I know I still have a ton to work on. I still have a ton to work on within myself, but I, I know that I've been with enough partners that, uh, I, for who I am, I don't want to go into a situation thinking I need to be changed or I need to be at a certain level to make my partner happy. Um, or anything that I'm doing is to please my partner. I want to be in a relationship where we just provide, we're like journeying life together. You know, I don't want someone to come in as like the old ball and chain. I want someone to come in and be like, all right, let's, let's freaking enjoy life on this journey together and have our lives, right? I don't want to feel like I'm tied down to anything. So if instantly I meet someone and I have this feeling of like, they're trying to impress me the entire time or whatever it is, like I instantly get this feeling of like, this person's insecure. Um, insincere. Insincere, insecure. Uh, like there's so many things that I've just observed with human nature that I just know my own personality and like, I won't be able to cater to someone who needs a lot of attention. I won't be able to cater to somebody who, um, won't let me have my independence, you know, like there's just so many factors I look for emotionally that will work or it won't work. And you have to really know yourself. And if you don't give yourself the space to be alone and figure that out, then you're going to be jumping for anything that fulfills those needs within you. And usually those needs are what you need to fix. (laughs) Mm, The things that you expect from other people is usually the things that you need to work on within yourself. Yes. That's going to hurt some people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's, let's move forward. What, what is it like because I looked at some of the comment sections of some of the stuff from 90 Day Fiance, and they were brutal. They're the worst fans. <laughs> so tell me. In the world. I mean, you. I know you said that you were prepared, but there's just certain no, things that you can't be shit. prepared for. Tell me about <laughs> what it was like once everything had aired and you had invited all of these not the most emotionally in- sound humans into your relationship, essentially. How did you deal with that? Um, uh, <laughs> uh, well, you just kind of have to dive in. Um, well, what happened was I was not prepared. Okay. No. When that, when the show was airing, I went through an emotional roller coaster every week The this, the show would air on Sundays. So I knew Wednesday I would feel a little free, right? Like, cause we're tapering down from the last Sunday. And then all of a sudden another show would come out and it's like, the storm is coming. Mm-hmm. And you get this whirlwind of people either telling you how you are. They think they know you 
They know everything about you. They'll, they heard something from somebody else who said this and, and like, you are, you are at this point where you're like, I didn't realize I was going to have to deal with all this negativity. So then you go through this phase of, I need to get people to like me because there's so much negativity. So now I have to start putting out the fires, right? And the more you put out these fires, the more you're actually feeling the fire. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that I need to stop because I'm driving myself insane trying to get people to like me. And then I realized when you, when you get a dose of humanity at the level that you do when you have a large platform, you really get to see human nature, human psychology. Okay. So because I'm, I'm an analytical person, I sat back and I, I was sitting there looking at these comments and I'm looking at my direct messages and I'm recognizing that there are just people in this world who are never going to be pleased. Mm-hmm. And there's people in this world who have a different mindset and, you know, can be understanding and things like that. But everybody in this world is living in their own world. There is like, we are just human beings living in our own tiny little world on the same globe. And we want everyone to understand our perspective of the world that we're living in. So we want to put that and project that on other people who are living in their own world and their own perspectives. And oftentimes we're not really open-minded to other people's like perspectives or even understand the reality of what's going on. And so I realized that I like I kind of lost myself at that point because I was just trying to make it so people, you know, don't hate me and things like that. And then when I realized that this is just human nature, it's really just human nature to like, you have people who just want to hate because they are angry people inside. They don't even care what you did. They just want to tell you how much they hate you. I tied my hair pink and I had so many people who just came to me to tell me how much they hated my hair color. And I'm like, you know what? I love it because it's for me. It's not for you. I'm not going to change my hair color because you tell me you hate it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, cool, bro. Like, I don't care. Like, you really think I'm going to change my hair color because you hate it? And then you just realize people are just that way. And plus, you have the internet is just a giant dumping ground of all yeah. the emotions that people can't say to your face. And so you have to take that into consideration as well. And once I started doing that, I started detaching my emotions from what people's opinions of me were. And I just was like, cool, I don't care. When something would come up and and I would like, I would probably put like one statement out to address it. And then I would just forget it and it would go away because people are like, oh, dude, she doesn't like, she's not really playing into it. And so the fire just goes away because you're not playing into it. You don't care. But it also gave me, it really helped trigger this like fuck it mentality mm-hmm. because I was like, I'm sitting here running around trying to get people to like me and I'm not even do, I'm not even being myself and I'm getting further and further away from myself. And I want people, when you're not being yourself and you're trying to cater to everybody's like likes and you have that large of a platform you're going to be pulled in so many different directions because everybody likes different things. So you're going to be trying to please everybody's little perception about you and you're being pulled all over the place. 
And that can really tear someone apart emotionally. And some people who have these public platforms are like that. They're emotional train wrecks because they want everybody on their platform to love them. And they will do everything to make that happen. But then finally, I just was like, I'm just going to be me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say what I want. And I don't care who hates it. And when I started doing that, yeah, I lost a lot of following. I lost a lot of people who were like, I thought you were this way or whatever. But then I started being happier and I stopped caring. And then I was like detached from from that whole world. And just having that higher level of understanding that like, you're just never going to please anybody. Just do you and you will attract the right people in your life. And so once I started on the path that I wanted, I knew there was going to be this weird shift of people who don't like me anymore because I wasn't the person they saw on television or the person that they perceived me as. I was going to be myself and whoever liked it, they can stay. Whoever doesn't like it, see you later. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be bringing the people who really want to know me and like me for me. And then I'm going to have my community, right? So that. Yeah, that's the stage that I'm in with starting this podcast and really diving into my own brand. And I'm not controlled anymore by the 90 Day Fiance brand because they had to present me in a certain way. And now I'm detached from that and I can start creating my own brand and I'm not focused on people liking me. I am focused on me and that will attract the people, the right people in my life. And I, I'm, and I'll, you also come to the realization that a lot of the things that kind of going back to what we were saying earlier, a lot of the things that people are saying about you, one, why do you care about the opinions on who you are from someone who's never met you first? Mm -hmm. Like, why am I giving that much power to strangers? But a lot of them, and this has actually helped me because I am a highly sensitive person. That's just who I am. It's part of my nature. Sometimes I wish I could turn it off, but it's also a superpower. It helps me connect with people and it helps me understand people. And when people, and I've had a handful of backlash throughout my career, because that's just the outrage Mm -hmm. cycle is like, is, is pretty common. I started to, instead of get upset that people were attacking me, I put myself in their shoes and be like, this person to have this strong of a reaction to someone that they don't know must be experiencing a lot of hurt in their life. And I, f- and I feel for them and I hope that that part heals. And that helped me not only humanize the people who were attacking me, but also kind of created a separation between it's not really about what they're doing to me. It's about their personal experience. And it's got to be really, because think about it. If you are, if if something upsets you that you see on social media, happy people just scroll by. People who are experiencing a lot of pain will feel the need to project that pain onto you because they experience it so much themselves. So it kind of humanized the people who are ugly to me and it kind of helped me rise above it. Mm-hmm. No, that's actually an important thing to even just adopt in everyday life. Um, because when you have a situation like with a partner, let's say, right in a relationship, and I can, I say this because I have somewhat of a a similar thing, except for, you know, I'm not necessarily super emotional, but I am very aware that everybody is dealing with something in their life. Like everybody has these things that they're not perfect about. And as long as they're aware of it, they can work on it and, and, you know, as long as they're a good person, um, I think it's really about the person. And so 
you know, you can be dating somebody and they tell you like, Hey, you know, I, I used to be a stripper or something like that. Right. And it might be totally against your beliefs and whatever. And you could either like attack this person or like, I guess that's a, a wrong thing. Like if they had a drug, like they were a drug addict or something like that. Um, and the struggles that like, because I've been through so many struggles in my life, I understand the mindset of what it takes to get out of a really hard position in life. And it's really easy to not want to take that route because it's hard and it everything against you is telling you not to do that. And some people don't even have that awareness to understand that what's going on in their life is wrong. Their behavior is wrong. They don't have that understanding or that knowledge. And, and so I personally can look at somebody's situation that they're going through and see how they're reacting. And I don't even really get mad at them personally, because I'm just like, dude, I get it. I get that you are retaliating this way. You just don't have the understanding or the awareness to really see your situation the way that it is. But like, I know why you would act that way. You know, like it's hard to be in that situation. And so just even just adopting that to, to really, you know, connect with people and understand their, why they behave the way that they do kind of helps you to separate from, you know, taking it personally. So I think mm -hmm. that that's, that's a really important thing that people, a lot of people should learn just in normal day life. Yeah. I learned that in therapy. Um, I did two different types of therapy. I did EMDR therapy, which is like deep trauma therapy. And I didn't know that I was jumping in the deep end when it came to therapy with that stuff. Like I, I had to clear my day after those things. Cause imagine drudging up the most traumatic moments of your life over and over and over again, every session and looking at it and reprocessing it. It's awful, but it works. And then I started doing cognitive behavioral therapy, which is tools. So I understand when someone is when someone says something like all men are trash, right? That is an, uh, an, uh, that is a cognitive dissonance. You are black and white thinking men are this, but how can you really say that about half of the world's population, but they've experienced so much pain in their experiences that it's much easier to just put that whole group in a box. So they don't have to go through the process of, Maybe finding out that one, their mindset is wrong or finding out that their mindset is right. It's protecting themselves. So that's why like when I hear it, it, it doesn't feel good when you hear it over and over and over again. But I now, instead of taking it really personally, I meet them with understanding because that's what I wish people had provided for me, which mm -hmm. I understand it's so much sexier to just lay on your little petty pillow and scream at people and say snarky things. But what I found was it just, I, I ended up feeling empty and then nothing ever really changed. It was just like, I would almost go, I, that's how I built a lot of my TikTok following was like, kind of like going after misogynists. And like, while I don't agree with the misogynistic behavior, what actual rehabilitation <laughs> happens when we just mob up on somebody who um, is ignorant, you know? So some people can use that approach. I just decided to take it a different direction, which has confused some of my audience. So I kind of 
kind of a similar thing with you where you're just like, I'm going to do what makes sense for me instead instead of what's going to get me validation from other people. And it's mm-hmm. really uncomfortable and you're going to lose out on a lot of people, but it, those people aren't going in the direction that you're going. They don't, right. uh, they don't understand your vision. And I don't need to vision. fit in their box. Fuck that. I need to fit in no. my box. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm sorry. You can't say that to me and having not at least giggle a little That's bit. That's what she said. That's what she said. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> that was like bubbling up within me. <laughs> so you're moving in a different direction, right? You are finally doing what makes sense. Well, you're you have been for a while, but you're really starting to land on where you want to go, what you want to do. We're kind of doing it at the same time frame, which is probably why you and I connected so quickly. Um Talk to me about what your podcast is about and why you gravitated towards that content. Okay. Well, from an early age, I was raised on true crime, like all things scary and spooky. And this might weird people out, but when I was really, really young, I was obsessed with scary movies. And I'm talking like three, four years old. I would watch Chucky. And I would watch all these like scary movies and I would cry when I wasn't able to watch Chucky. And I even got like a Chucky doll for my birthday, like weird stuff that people would go, this girl is probably like possessed by a demon or something, right? Like she's going to grow up to be a serial killer. Yeah. Um, But I was attracted to, it's not that I'm attracted to the dark things in life. There is a component to true crime and, and, the fascination of things that blow your mind, right? So I was actually attracted to it. And I was, okay, so I was watching Dahmer last night and I was fascinated by the mindset that that guy had to have in order to conduct all the crazy things that he did. It wasn't, I was attracted to the killings or any of that stuff. I'm attracted to the things that make you go, what the fuck? Like, right? I started to watch the first episode of that. Uh, One, I was too high. Uh, (laughs) Two, it like, I've seen a lot of, I'm, I love serial killers. I not, not, I don't love them, but I love learning about them. Uh, And I studied a lot, a, a lot of different ones and I've seen a lot of Dahmer portrayals and this one, and I haven't watched, I haven't watched beyond the first part of the first episode, but I was like, this is a level of darkness I've never seen portrayed Yes, when it comes to Dahmer. Like they, they really uh, capture how sadistic this man's mental space was. And I couldn't even really focus on what was going on because I just kept focusing on how crazy do you have to be to live a life like that, right? There was no and, foreplay. It was straight to Oh, it was holy straight to like, <laughs> yeah, you're just like, holy crap. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that is the kind of stuff that I've been interested in since I was a little girl. It was like aliens, space. Like, I just never had this mindset of, uh, you know, I want to live a normal life. And I'm very much attracted to the things that blow your mind. And so I wanted to start this podcast because I I realized that we live in a world of smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what the hell is really going on in life. And that intrigues the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. 
And so I would find myself just researching all day, all night in my spare time, all the weird things in in life, right? Trying to find the truth. And, And the more you go down the rabbit hole, the more you realize that life is just, you don't have any idea. Like you think you're living a normal life, but no, the layers keep being peeled off and you realize that well, shit, we could be living in a simulation. Well, oh my gosh, like, you know, panspermia, like aliens live here in the ocean. Like there's so many theories out there of of life. And it's not that I jump on them. I don't sit there and go, oh my gosh, every single conspiracy is true. And we, and like, there's reptiles that are controlling the planet and all this stuff. No, I love seeing what other people's perception of reality is. And then I like to dive into it and see if there's actual proof because I'm so interested in figuring out the nature of reality and what's really going on here that I dive into all the possibilities. Um, And so I have to dive into these really weird concepts. I have to dive into all these different conspiracies and and true crime and, and just all these things that give me a better understanding of humanity and then the nature of reality. And that's kind of why I was like, man, this stuff is something that I've always researched into. I've loved since I was little. I'm super like passionate about it. And I looked at other people who were literally living their dream, just interviewing people, diving into that kind of stuff. And then they're getting paid to do that. I was like, I want to do that. I want that to be my life. And so that's kind of why I, you know, but then I had to go through the shift where I go, a lot of people are going to look at this and they're going to judge me because I am talking about controversial subjects. I'm talking about conspiracy. So I'm going to be labeled a, I've already been labeled a QAnon. I've already been labeled like all these different things that I'm not even a part of. That is, like, I don't, that is quite the leap. How does someone go to Q just because you research because, conspiracy? Well, no, it's, it's about some of the stuff that like, People make assumptions on things, but I was talking about like human trafficking and how it's like a really it's it's more prevalent than what people believe. But Mm. QAnon has conspiracies that I subscribe to and also way don't subscribe to. Right. But that's like every single conspiracy theorist. They have so many different conspiracies that they subscribe to. I, I don't necessarily believe in flat earth, but. Uh, there are some components to what they're saying that, you know, should be researched into. Um, it's like science, scientific stuff. So if I go down one one avenue, I have to be very careful how I present things because I'm not trying to say that it's X, Y, and Z and you should believe this. I'm like, this is the evidence and I'm going to present to you some of the evidence. You can believe what you want to believe. and And this is just like, concepts that we can dive down into but the reality is is that we don't know what's going on here and ultimately it's it's trying to put the pieces together and that's what's fun for me um but people will just t- like you know if they don't like what you say they're going to label you as something uh, i think so. i think one of the issues that's going on now is ideas aren't ideas anymore they're identities mm-hmm. so if you believe in flat earth you're, you're not someone who believes in flat earth. You are a flat earther. Mm-hmm. That is who you are. 
Yeah. You and voted for Trump. You're a Trumper. You that's voted it. For Biden. Like you're an idiot. Right. Like that is black and white thinking, which I talked about in therapy, you know. Yeah. So when you when you question those ideas, you're not questioning the idea. You're questioning them as a person, which mm -hmm. is why we have such a reactive society now is like we become so entrenched in these ideas and then surround ourselves with people who all think the same way that we do. So when new information comes in, of course, it's shocking. And of course, you want to attack it because you, you feel like you're being personally attacked, mm -hmm. which is not really the case in a lot of places. But when you attach yourself to one idea wholeheartedly like that and refuse to allow new information in, you're going to feel attacked. Yeah, 100%. And that's, that's kind of where I was at my, it, it, where before I started the podcast, I was like, man, this is so different than the Avery that I have presented to the world, uh, that I don't even think that they even know I have this side of me where I love true crime. I like, I couldn't even be my full personality. Like I, I'm very much a like straight shooter. I'm very like blunt forward. I can be funny. I can joke around. I cuss a lot. Like I, I am just very like, I just really have this fuck it mentality. And I just have adopted just the, the aspects of myself that I really love and that I realize is not for everybody, you know? Um, but I'm happy being who I am and I'm happy with the way that I present myself. And if somebody is uncomfortable with how I present myself, then, you know, that's their issue and they don't really have to, to, to come along on my ride. But what I realized was the more I leaned into my own self and just presented the very raw and authentic Avery, people love that confidence. People love, regardless if they're into what you're into or anything, they notice authenticity right off the bat and people are drawn to authenticity. And so you can be whoever it is that you want to be, but do it with confidence and people are more open and adapted to listening to you. Um, and so it's like when you're not, when you're not authentically being yourself in something, it's really hard to become personable and, to be successful in, in what it is that you're doing because you're going to be constantly trying to be something different. And I just realized like once I started actually getting into and, and relaxing into the things that I want for myself and for my life, I could actually start being more confident in myself. And then I could start being myself. And then, you know, by doing that, I recognize that for so long, I was so worried about fitting into other people's boxes that I, you know, was unhappy with who I was. But then when I started just being myself, I realized that all these people that I thought wouldn't like me because I'm being myself actually love being around me because they actually loved me for, for who I am and all the things I like. It might not be they don't love true crime or conspiracies, but they're just like, I think you're a cool ass person, you know, like. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't when we are so focused on trying to to uh, not be ourselves because we think that that person's not going to like us. We actually like rob ourselves of the opportunity to like first have happiness and being who we are. But also you that person, you know, might not have all these, you know, like I think we're just so focused on worrying about what other people think that not realizing like we just need to be ourselves and people actually love authenticity a lot more than they love just like, 
you know, somebody who's just trying to be everything that they want them to be. And I also think if you're focused on getting people to like you, you are focusing your energy on the people who already don't like you instead Mm -hmm. of connecting with the people who do like you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just the human condition. I mean, you get a thousand wonderful comments, you get two bad ones and your brain focuses on that. It's really hard to train yourself out of that because you, you, I think when I released the, the ego and when I released the need to uh, explain myself to people, life just got a lot more peaceful. And I was able to focus on like the wonderful connections. Cause while, cause regardless of what you do, people are going to have, a, some people are going to have a problem who cares who cares about what those people have to say i mean i did for a long time but i think when you when you focus on the on the right people you then also attract more right people and you just build that network and you just accept the fact that some people aren't going to like you so you might as well might as well be exactly who you are because people are going to judge you regardless of that yeah you have to when you when you're when you've been being someone else your whole life and you didn't even know it and then you realize you have been and you have to change that Life gets really lonely after you start changing for a little bit. It gets lonely because you realize that the people around you that you have created into your little bubble are catered to the old you. And then now you're trying to be the new you. And that takes a lot of filtering and and like figuring out your what makes you happy, right? So you're going to have these instances where people fall away. You're going to have a lot of people who don't like the new you or whatever it is. And, you know you go through this like lonely period and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm now attracting the people in my life that actually give me energy and that I enjoy being around. And it's because you've literally been just living this life that's catered to an old person who thought that they loved this or whatever. So the people in your life that you're surrounded with are not even the people that you wanted in your life because you're not even fulfilling the path that you that makes you happy. So you're still attracting all this unhappiness into your life, the people who aren't even on the right path. And ever since I started doing my thing, the people that I've been connecting with, I love. Like, I'm just like, I've never, I thought that I couldn't connect with people, but it was just because I was in a world that of people that weren't even, you know, on my path. And now I'm finding that I'm connecting with more and more people, but it's because I'm around the demographic that Mm -hmm. makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And you probably set a lot of boundaries. Once you started to figure out, and the people, what's the quote? The people who get upset about you setting boundaries are the people who benefited from you having none. And Mm -hmm. that it's, but you, you set those boundaries and you, when you're starting to get in the practice of setting boundaries, you feel bad. You feel bad because you're upsetting people, but these are people that never, never really cared about you. They cared about what you could provide for them. And so Mm -hmm. that is a, a scary and lengthy and lonely process, but I think it's like the path to becoming a more healthy, happy. happy person, more healthy person. So for any, for people who are starting to lean into their authentic self and starting to set boundaries and starting to do the things that make them happy and they are struggling with it, do you have like a bit of advice that you would give to them to help them get through this initial time? I think that the biggest thing that they have to understand is the phases that you go through when you start completely changing your life. You go through a lot of mental discomfort and then you go through a lot of environmental discomfort. Um, 
I think that people just need to understand that in the beginning, it's really, really, really hard. And it, it, the reason why some people uh, don't progress further in it is because they want to be in their comfort zone. And the reality is you're going to go through lonely periods. You're going to be alone. You're going to have to sit with your own uh, thoughts. You're going to have to sit with, you know, like you have to make a decision for yourself and realize that everything that it comes with is just a discomfort of all the things that you have created in your life that were not benefiting you are now filtering away. And it's going to be a really uncomfortable change. And as long as you are prepared that you know you're going to go through that, it will get better if you continue on that path. And that's the biggest thing is that you have to continue. You have to keep trying. It is consistency. Just keep going. You're going to have all kinds of emotions that you go through, but then you'll reach a point where you'll look back and go, oh, that's why like all these phases were for a purpose and they were teaching me this. And then, you know, I got stronger here and now I'm more confident here and those things. And then it becomes easier for you to continue on your path because things just feel a little bit better. But I think that people who are ultimately trying to get into it, they don't recognize how the phases that you have to go through. And there's a lot of emotional change that you have to deal with that's not going to feel good. Um, and, and so if you think that you're going to be your authentic self and you're going to feel better being your authentic self, you will, but initially you're not going to feel good. There's going to be a lot of shifts and you have to be accepting of that in order to get what it is that you want. Um, and so just be prepared that it's lonely and it can suck and you can go through depressions and you can go through all that. But all that is, is teaching you how bad of a situation you kind of have put yourself into or like how far you've gotten from yourself that you are feeling the way that you feel because you've gotten so far away from yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, and now you're trying to get back to that. Um, And once you finally make your way back to that and things start looking that way, then that's when you'll start like, oh, this is amazing. And then that confidence starts building um, because you created that for yourself. and then you're you and then you start bringing and attracting more people into your life that are on that same wavelength and so there's just that process that you have to be prepared for mm-hmm. and if you can't go through that process you're never going to be happy i like i don't get it in my own mind where it's like you know you <laughs> it's like uh, what's that there's this quote that's like with every decision or i'm going to totally butcher this but it's like you can either continue on the hard path that you're on and have it be hard, or you can choose the hard path and have it be easy. But either way, it's a it's a hard path. And so, and so it's like, which one do you want, right? Do you want the positive outcome or do you want the negative outcome? And some people just convert to their what they're comfortable with, but then they don't even realize that they're making their life harder. And they're choosing the hard path rather than choosing the path that has a lot of like it, it tests you emotionally and it's really hard, but it leads you on the right path. So it's like choose your hardness, right? Mm-hmm. You do, do you want the positive outcome or yeah. do you want the negative outcome? So if people are inspired by you and they want to reach out to you, where's the best place to do that? 
So right now, so you can email me at chillerqueenpodcast at gmail.com. Um, my website is not up yet. It's in the process of being created. So you can't reach me through my my website yet. But the best way to get a hold of me is on Instagram. Um, not my my personal profile. My personal profile has a larger platform, so it's a little bit it gets crazy. Um, but Chiller Queen Podcast, uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'm pretty active on there or email me. Um, but those are the main places that that I get contact through. And if they want to follow your podcast, it's Chiller Queen Podcast. Yes. Okay. Well, yes. thank you for the conversation. I knew this was going to be interesting. Uh, I didn't know what direction it was going to go. And it pretty much, yeah, it pretty much went, went where I thought it was going to go. Good. Yeah. Good. So thanks. You didn't even need your notes. I know. I don't. I actually don't. I just, because the thing that I've enjoyed since I was a child is having in-depth conversations with other humans. So I found mm-hmm. if I like try to structure that a little too much, it would kind of rob the authenticity of where the conversation could go. You just, I just trust in my ability that no matter what direction it goes, I'm going to have a line that I can follow and shift. And I'll, I'll remember yeah, those things. That's see, a skill. That, that- that is what I was talking about with following your gut. Mm-hmm. When you try to focus too much on creating the journey, then you're probably making things harder for yourself mm-hmm. rather than just listening to what is coming to you and you go with it. And then you realize, holy shit, I'm here faster than I thought I was. Yep. Well, yep. thank you for being on Unfiltered Friends. And I'll, I'll talk. I'll, I don't know how to end it either. So we're going to do that. <laughs> Thanks for being thank on. Thank you so much for being on Unfiltered Friends, Avery. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. Thanks see? for having me on. It we all, will see you next time, everybody. It all worked out in the end. <laughs> thank you, Avery, for being on Unfiltered Friends. What an amazing story of growth and authenticity. If you want to reach out to her, make sure you go to her social media. All of that will be linked in the description. And make sure you're giving this podcast, Unfiltered Friends, a rating, a review, and sharing it with your friends to help this grow. And until next week, this has been Unfiltered Friends.